grab one off the back table where you came in. There's a bunch of blue ones back there. So you can make sure that you can follow along with what we're doing tonight. So somebody tell me what book we've been walking through. Colossians. Okay, good. I'm glad to know that some of y'all are awake. Yes, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. Would you believe that we've been in this book for 10 weeks now? This is Wednesday number 10 that we've been doing this. What's that? Yes, yes. So we are tonight, we're actually finally stepping into the third chapter of this book. There's only four chapters. And last week when we finished up chapter 2, we were looking at what Paul was saying were some things that as believers, as disciples of Jesus, these are things that we're supposed to kind of steer away from. But tonight as we turn to chapter 3, he starts talking about some positive things that we're supposed to pursue, some things that we're supposed to go after. And, and I think that's important for us because a lot of times people who, who don't spend a lot of time in God's Word or people who haven't grown up around church or anything like that, they, they see Christianity, they see the Bible as a big list of rules of things you can't do. That, that if you're a Christian, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and there's some of those things in there, we do see that. But what we find more of instead of a list of what you can't do is we find the freedoms that God gives us in Him. When God sets up those boundaries for our lives, He gives us the opportunity to experience life in a fuller way than we would ever experience it. And that's what Paul's talking about tonight as he starts saying, these are things that you need to pursue. Because what happens is when those people who look at Christianity or look at religion and say, it's just a list of things you can't do, see, what they think of is they think that, that it's all about behavior modification. And if you're unfamiliar with that, with what that is, that means if I do the right things, then I'll be okay. But the problem is that's, that's not what Scripture tells us how God works. What God does is God changes us from the inside out. He changes the way that we think, and the way that we think then determines how we act. Does that make sense? I mean, you, you guys, you've probably had this question before. Some of you, if you're an athlete, somebody will say, well, what sports do you play? Anybody ever had that question before? And then you know, football or wrestling or whatever it is, and then they start asking you questions about that. And that's kind of how they come to define you. They think of you as a football player. They think of you as a wrestler. Now, there's more to you than that, but in their mind, that's how they decide to look at you, and because that's the way they think of you. And if that's the way they think of you, that's the way they're going to treat you. Every time they see you, hey, how's wrestling going? And Colby, I just asked you that question tonight. Or, hey, how's football going? Or, how's school going if, if you're the one who does really well in school? Or, or all of these different things. But what Paul's showing us tonight is that what matters more than the things that we do is the way that we think when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Because the way that we think about Jesus and the way that we think about ourselves in light of who he is is going to determine what we do. So we've got to get our minds right and, and understand this. I am not going all, this is the power of positive thinking. If you think it, it will be true. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus changing you from the inside. And as you change from the inside, it affects what you do on the outside. And that's what Paul's talking about as we step into chapter 3. So, for those of you who are new tonight, I always ask a couple questions as we walk through a book of the Bible because it matters that we know who wrote the book, where they were when they wrote it. You need to know what's going on so you can understand the book. So let me ask you guys those questions. I've already said it a couple times. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul, there you go. Quick tonight. Okay. When do we believe he wrote it? Yeah, around 60 to 62 A.D., so a really, really long time ago. Where do we believe he was when he wrote it? Prison, yes. This week, let's go with 96% this week, okay? I, tell, I, I make this up every week, but I don't really know the percentage, but a lot of the books that Paul wrote, he wrote while he was in prison. 
And he was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. He was telling people about Jesus. He was living out what he knew and believed to be true, and it affected what he did. Now, who did he write it to? Church of Colossae. And what are the two main reasons he wrote it to them? Yes, to warn them and to encourage them in their walk with God and to warn them. Because as we've seen over and over, there were false teachers. There were people coming into this church and they were preaching Jesus and. That salvation, in order to have salvation through Jesus Christ, you needed that relationship, but there were other things that you had to do. They were adding on to what Scripture said and what God's Word said about Jesus. And he's saying, don't believe those people. You need to focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's what he's going to help us see tonight. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that's where we're going to be. I've asked you guys every week, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. And Miss Emily Johnson, if you will come on up and read our passage for us tonight. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. You can use that microphone right here. Get out of your way. Thank you, Miss Emily, for doing that for us. So we're just going to walk through these four verses tonight, okay, and see what it is that Paul's saying. So right here in the very first verse, let me read it for us again. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So the first thing he's saying there, he's saying that you have been raised with Christ. Remember, he's writing this to a church. So he's speaking to people that say that they believe in God, that they've been forgiven of their sins by Jesus. He's saying, if this is true of you, then you've been raised with Christ. It's not a conditional statement. He's making a declaration. He's saying, hey, you've been raised. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's, he's, he's reflecting back on the fact that Jesus died. He was crucified on a cross. He died. He was put in a tomb. And then three days later, he rose from that tomb. He's saying, if you are in him, you have been raised. You are raised in Christ. And if you've asked for Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you have to identify yourself that way. You're no longer who you were before you were forgiven of your sin. You're no longer that person. You're no longer held by that baggage. You're no longer trapped like those people are who have not been forgiven by Jesus. He's saying you've been raised with Christ. It's that reference that we see there. And Paul, this is not the first time that we see this. In this same book, Paul referenced it back in chapter 2, verse 12. He says as believers that we've been raised with Christ. And this knowledge should affect how we live. And we talked about that last week. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Scripture says that if you've been forgiven, you are in him. And Paul kept using those words over and over. You are in him. You are in him. And then last week, we looked at that idea. He said, if you are in him, then stay away from these things. And that very last question he asked was, if you are in him, why aren't you living like this? If you say you're a disciple of Jesus, if you say you've been forgiven of your sin, if you say you're pursuing him with your life, why aren't you living this? Why aren't you living like this? 
And then he comes in in this very first verse. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, this knowledge right here should affect the way that you live. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. This is a command. Paul says, based on the fact that you've been raised with Christ, based on the fact that you've put your faith and trust in him, your life should reflect that identity. As I talked about before, you're a wrestler, you're a football player, you're, you're a, a, a... What about the drama kids? You're a drama kid, okay? I'm sorry for excluding them. Or you're in the choir, or you do one of a hundred different things, and you get a label as, this is what you do. This is who you are. Think about that for a second. If people look at what you do to define who you are, would they define you as a Christian tonight? If you say you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you say that you know you've been forgiven of your sin, you're going to follow God with your life. If someone looked at the last two weeks of your life, right here, right now, tonight, sat there, played it on a screen, would they look at you and say, yep, Christian, would your life reflect it? See, if we don't think about ourselves, if we don't see ourselves as someone who's been forgiven and let God change us from the inside, then it doesn't affect the way that we act and we look just like everybody else who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus. Paul is saying right here, he's saying you need to seek these things that are above. He's saying, he's, he says this in Galatians 2.20. Let me read this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He's, he's already saying, this is who I am now. I know who I was. This is who I am now. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's reminding us right here that the moment you ask God to forgive you of your sin, the moment you turn to him, the moment that you are changed forever spiritually, you are forgiven by Christ and you are dependent on him. And so many people stumble over this. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. And yes, I'm forgiven and I feel that freedom. But then they hold on to that baggage of who they were before that time. They hold on to the, to the guilt of the things that they did. They, they still define themselves by what they were instead of who they are now. And what Paul is saying is if you've been forgiven, you need to seek the things of God. Don't be defined by your past. Be defined by who God has called you to be. Be defined by the things that he has shown you. Be defined by the fact that you are no longer stuck in the way that you used to think. Saying, hold on to that reality because as you do that and you pursue Jesus in that reality, he changes you from the inside. And he starts to change your actions because he's changing the way that you see yourself and the way that you see him. And as you do that, you begin to live a life that honors then you start to not make those same choices that you used to make. You make different choices that honor him with your life. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, seek these things. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus says, seek God first. Above and before everything else in your life, seek God first. And as you do that, God begins to make you into who he created you to be. Because when we're born, guess what? We are not who God created us to be. Because when we are born, and this is the craziest thing, my sister-in-law just today had a brand new baby, little girl, 
I, what, tell me your, you got to tell me your name again. Eliza Reina is her name. Beautiful little girl. But the moment she took her first breath, she's dead in The very first breath she took in life, she's dead spiritually. Scripture is telling us right there that we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus so that we go from that death to life spiritually. To know that God has taken us and he has saved us and we begin to be in that moment what God has created us to be. Now understand this. God doesn't make mistakes, okay? Wherever you come from, whatever your life story has been up until this point, God did not make a mistake with you or anybody else. We're the ones that make the mistakes. We're the ones that choose sin. We're the one that go, ones that go down paths that God never intended us to go down. And that moment you put your faith and trust in him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I can't forgive myself. But I know that Jesus died for my sins. And I want to put my faith and trust in him and I want to pursue him with my life. Scripture tells us we move from death to life spiritually and we begin at that point to become who God intended us to be. Pursuing the purpose that he created us for. And what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that we've got to set our mind on that once we put our faith and trust in Jesus and stop going back to all of the old things and all of the old ways that we used to live. And then he goes on, he tells us how to do that. He says in verse 2, set your mind, well I already read that one, verse 3, excuse me, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's already said this in Colossians 2.20, he says, you died. As disciples of Jesus, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you died to your flesh and you came alive to Christ. Which means you're not trapped by those things anymore. You're not trapped by those decisions. You're not trapped by those regrets. You're not trapped by who you were. You are now somebody else in Jesus. And he says, your life has been hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is huge. If, if you think about that for a second... Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about it this way. Has anybody in here ever been to a vault in a bank before? Like been inside the vault? Okay. Not many people get to do that anymore. What's that? I, I, I didn't assume you had money, didn't have money. I have no idea. But here's the reason I asked that. When I was younger, I had an aunt in the town that I grew up in. She worked at the local bank. And I remember we used to go there some days after school, and, and every once in a while she would for whatever reason, we would go with her into the vault. And I remember you walk in this vault, and in order to get in, this never made sense to me. They've got this really huge, like, foot-and-a-half-thick door, big round thing with all these locks and mechanisms. And every time we walked in that vault, that door was always standing wide open. That never made sense to me. But I remember thinking, man, there must have been some valuable stuff in that vault. And the only way to get to anything that you possessed that was in that vault you had to physically go in there. And when they closed that door, it was locked away. And nobody else could get to it. That's the idea that we're seeing here that Paul's talking about. He says that you have been hidden in, or excuse me, hidden with Christ in God. He's saying that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then your life is found with Christ in God. Everything about you is different. When people look at you, the way they should identify, the way they should know you is the fact that you're a Christ follower. 
Yes, you may be a jock. You may be somebody that's good in school. You may do drama. All of these different things. But first and foremost, they should know you as a disciple of Jesus. Because your life should be in Christ, in God. You are wrapped up in Him so that when people look at you, they see what's around you. They see what's covering you. And that's the blood of Jesus. That's the forgiveness that you've experienced. Our lives should reflect that. If we say that we put our faith and trust in Him, that means you have to start to see yourself that way. Again, not defined by who you were, but defined by who God has made you the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then he wraps up here in this last verse. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, catch that, when Christ, who is your life, he's not saying when Christ, if he is your life, he's making an assumption here that he's writing to people who are believers, and he's saying he is supposed to be your life. Christ is supposed to be your everything. And if he is your everything, that's going to affect how you act. That's going to affect what you do. That's going to affect who you are. He says right there again in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, we get, we get kind of a really cool idea regarding the future here. Because if you read scripture, Christ has already appeared. He already came once. He already gave his life. He already died on a cross was buried, rose, and ascended back into heaven. That's what Scripture tells us. But we also know from reading Scripture that Christ is coming again. We've got this, 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 this tension. It's called the already not yet tension, which means something has already happened, yet it hasn't happened yet. And that, that's hard to wrap our minds around. So I came up with a really lame example of how to explain this to you, okay? It, it's kind of like the fact that at one point in time, Miss Kathleen and I, we got engaged to be married, you know, a couple years ago, just a few years ago. 20 plus years ago now. Um, but for a time, she had an engagement ring on her hand. And the moment she had that engagement ring on her hand, we began to think of we are husband and wife. We began to plan our future together. We began to talk about what our family was going to look like and where we were going to live and what we were going to do. And we began to think as husband and wife within the boundaries that God has set up for that relationship before marriage. So even though we thought we were husband and wife already, we had not actually been married yet. Does that make sense? You see it coming. You feel like it's already there, and yet it still hasn't happened yet. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that Jesus has already come, but there's also coming a day where Jesus is going to come again. Jesus has already been revealed when he came the first time, but we know in the future he's coming back. And this should help us understand ourselves in light of who Jesus is. Right now, because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, because of your union with him, it says he is your life. It says we are hidden with him in the heavens, and yet we are still stumbling around through this life right here. Right. We know that we've been forgiven. We know that we belong to God. We know that we are wrapped up in him, and yet we are still here dealing with a sinful nature and a sinful life every single day. It's the already not yet tension. We've been forgiven, and yet we still have this daily struggle. He's saying that you need to remember who you are in Christ. We've already made, been made perfect in him by his sacrifice, and yet we still live in the reality of a world wrecked by sin. That's why he says in these verses that we've got to seek the things of God. We've got to set our mind 
on who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. Because as we do that, we begin to change from the inside out. And you, you guys know how hard it is to set your mind on something sometimes. I mean, you probably didn't have that trouble today, but maybe on Tuesday when you were sitting in class and you were supposed to be concentrating on something and you found your mind start to wander and to daydream and before you know it, you've gotten behind and you didn't get done what you were supposed to do in class because you didn't set your mind on the task at hand every day. And, and that's true for some of us. But the same thing happens when it comes to pursuing Christ. If we don't set our minds to it, if we're not intentionally thinking about it, if we're not on purpose pursuing who Jesus is, then our minds begin to wander. And we begin to pursue other things. And we begin to seek other things. Many of them don't honor God. We have to be intentional about seeking and setting our minds on Christ. So that's my question for you tonight as we wrap up our study of this passage. Is number one, what are you seeking tonight? What are the things in your life that you are seeking? Are you seeking the things that will honor God in your life? Or are you seeking the things that are going to please you? Because it matters what we seek. It matters what we go after in our relationship with God. Are you seeking success and fame and wealth or whatever else you think is going to satisfy you? Or are you seeking after Jesus, the only thing that matters? And the other question is this. What are you setting your mind on? Are you intentionally saying, Jesus, I'm going to pursue you today above everything else? Or are you setting your mind on, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and I've got to go here, and I've got to talk to these people, and I've got to make sure I accomplish this. Those aren't bad things. But if you haven't set your mind on Jesus first, you're going to get sidetracked in all of those other things. Paul is telling us here tonight that we've got to be intentional to set our minds on Jesus, to put our faith and trust in him and nothing else. And when we begin to do that, we begin to live a life that reflects who he is. We begin to live a life that honors him. And that's my prayer for every single one of us in this room tonight. And, and if you're here tonight, you've never put your faith and trust in him. You don't even know what that looks like. I would love to talk to you about that. I'm going to hang around after we finish this last song. I'll be down over here. Come talk to me. Or one of the other, other adults in the room, we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to pursue Jesus, to seek the things of God, and to set your mind on Christ each and every day knowing that you've been forgiven so that you become the person you created to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can come together tonight. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son. God, thank you for the time that we have just to walk through your word. And God, I pray every single one of us in this room, Lord, myself included, help us to seek you. God, help us to change the way that we see ourselves, the way that we, the way that we walk through our day, God, the way that we set our minds on things. Help us to set our mind on you first and foremost above everything else, knowing that you can forgive us. God, that you want a relationship with us. God, that you care about us. You care about every little detail of our lives. Thank you for that. God, I pray for any person in this life that hasn't put their faith in trust in you, God, maybe speak to them to know how desperately you love them. Anybody in here tonight, if, if that's you, talk to one of us about 
you're here tonight and you just want to come